That's why Jesus said, the way to the Father is through me. I am the way. I'm that narrow road. I'm the way you get to the Father. I am the truth. And Jesus is the truth. Truth, by its very definition, is exclusive. Welcome to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. How does a holy God receive a fallen, sinful humanity into His presence? Well, the 14th chapter of the Gospel of John has some of the most significant teaching about the Father in heaven. And verse 6 is another I am statement from Jesus claiming deity. Here's David continuing our study of the Gospel of John. Jesus in Matthew 7 verse 15 says it this way, that there are in this world two roads. One of them's wide, one of them's narrow. On the wide road are many people. On the narrow road are just a few. And then those roads lead to a gate. Jesus said one gate is wide and everybody's going through it on that road and that gate leads to destruction. But he says on the narrow road, there's a narrow gate. That gate is me. John 10, 10, remember, I am the gate. And that gate is me. And you go through that gate of grace and that gate leads to eternal life. Dear friends, you're in either the wide road that's leading to the wide gate and destruction, thinking you can earn God's favor, or you're on the narrow gate, which on the narrow way, which leads to the narrow gate, which knows that salvation's only by grace through faith, a gift from God, not of our works. We can never do enough to earn eternal life. And that's why Jesus said, the way to the Father is through me. I am the way. I'm that narrow road. I am that narrow gate. I'm the way you get to the Father. I am the truth. As we debate in our culture continually, if truth is a Western construct, if we believe that truth really is relative, if we believe truth doesn't exist, that's one of the big debates in academia and other places today in the American culture. But those of us who've lived long enough know there is actual truth. We lived under teachers who said to us, two plus two equals four. No debate about that. It's not a social construct, according to Western thought, brought by patriarchalism. It is a truth of science and reality, and Jesus is the truth. Truth, by its very definition, is exclusive. Let me say that again. Truth, by its very definition, is exclusive. If Jesus is the truth, it means other truth claims that are contradictory to his are false. Jesus is the truth, but he's also the life. He is the way to get to heaven and have eternal life. And the way that you have eternal life is through Jesus. The moment you are born again in your heart, you confess your sins and the Holy Spirit rushes in. You have Jesus' life within you and you know your forgiveness. Eternal life begins for you that day. And notice the definitive article. It's purposeful. Jesus is an a way, a truth, a life. He is the way, the truth, the life. And you've got to make a decision whether you believe that or not. Jesus isn't going to coerce you to do it. Let not your heart be troubled. Anxiety is a choice. Your choice of eternal life is yours. I pray today that you would yield today and know that grace is the only thing that makes sense. It's the only way to go to the Father. He has to pursue us before we ever pursue Him. He has to choose us before we ever choose Him. Grace is a gift. And when we realize that, we know our home to the Father. 
And it's a father's house where Jesus is our big brother, the silent sovereign of the Holy Spirit, whom we'll look at next week, is there as well. We are all brothers and sisters in Christ living in this huge heaven that Jesus has created for all of us to live in, and it is glorious beyond words. You've just got to answer the question today, how are you going home? Do you really believe it's by your works you're being lied to? It is only by the grace of the Father who pays the gift for us. And when we accept Jesus, all our sins and debts are paid in full. And we are living with him through grace forever, starting the day that we know him intimately. Next division, the character of the Father in verses 7 through 11. Jesus said, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, do you know him and have seen him? So, so Jesus is basically saying here, if you want to know who the daddy in heaven really is, look at me. God loved us so much, he put his entire character into Jesus. And if you want to know the character of the Father, look at Jesus. The Father is spirit. We can't possibly understand the inscrutable majesty of the eternal God of the universe in our own fallen sinful states. But looking at a human being, talking to a human being, understanding his words, you can see the nature of the Father in human flesh. Uh, Jesus is basically God with flesh on. Uh, God came to this earth in a stable in Bethlehem, what we'll celebrate at Christmas time in a couple of months, put on skin and became one of us. It's called the incarnation. It is the changing point of the history of the human race. God became one of us to pursue us with his grace. Now, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, hence, have I been with you so long that you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Now, we don't know much about Philip. Uh, we know he was quite smart. When Jesus wanted the 5,000 men to be fed, he turned to Philip and said, why don't you figure out how to do it, Philip? Uh, there's a sense he may have been the major mathematician of all the crew. Uh, so Philip here is asking yet another question, Lord, how do we know who the Father really is? And Jesus' response is, is have I been with you so long you just don't get this? Whoever has seen me, Philip, has seen the Father. Verse 10, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? This is another John 10.30 passage where Jesus said, I and the Father are one. The Father's in Jesus. Jesus is in the Father. They have a perfect union life as the first two persons in the Godhead. By the way, that's why Jesus agonized in the garden so much about dying on the cross. He knew that when he absorbed all the sins of the world, that this union life with the Father would stop for a season. That God could not continue to have fellowship with his son who became sinful. He would have to reject him, and that was the price Jesus knew he'd have to go through, and it was almost too much to think about. That's why he asked, is there another way? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. So where did Jesus' power come from? Well, he's the second person of the Godhead, and the Father's in him, and he is in the Father. So he says to Philip, if you want to know the nature of who the Father is, look at my works. Daddy in heaven is a healer. Now, dear friends, I just want to take a moment again to state, if you had a bad earthly dad, and if he was abusive to you in any way, in fact, if any man has done that to you, um, I'm just so sorry. 
Uh, but that was never what God intended. He wanted every home to have a loving daddy who gave, cared, and like was a backstop, a guardian of all evil getting into that home, a gardener sprinkling grace into your life regularly, daily. Um, that's what God the Father so wanted. And in this broken world, dads have become sometimes obsolete, sometimes irrelevant, sometimes invisible. That's not what God intended. And Jesus said, I came not only to show you the way to the Father, I came to show you the character of the Father. So when you pray, our Father who is in heaven, you don't have to worry about rejecting God because you're projecting your earthly father's evil upon God. No, that's not who God is. Get rid of that picture. God is gracious, good, kind, compassionate, loving, caring. He is tough and he's tender at the same moment. He's not a terrible dad. He is someone who loves you so deeply. What's the proof? The cross. That's the extent daddy would go in heaven to show you he'd even be willing to give up his son to love you so deeply. That's good news whether you're a woman or a man. If you are a girl or a boy, to know that's the loving daddy that God wants you to know in heaven. And then once you know that, if you did have a good earthly dad, you just should praise God regularly for that. But if you didn't have a good earthly dad, say, you know, but God the Father's what he intended. And I'm going to rest in a perfect relationship with him, knowing he cares for me. He has adopted me into his family. He's made me an heir of everything that he owns. That's my true identity, not in what's happened to you. I tell you this all the time, folks. Your identity is not in what's happened to you. May I say it again? Your identity is not in what has happened to you. Your identity is in Jesus and Jesus alone, and you are adopted by the Daddy in heaven, a member of his family, and he will always care for you and always love you. That is the true characteristic of the Father. And finally, in the last couple few verses, we have how to communicate with the Father in verses 12 through 14. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, again, <laughs> listen up, this is really, really important what I'm about to say, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me, there's the whoever. Jesus died on the cross for everyone, but it's your decision whether you want to receive that gift or not. Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. And again, we'll see next week how going to the Father unleashes the Holy Spirit into our hearts. Jesus himself living in us. And the greater works there are certainly in scope because Jesus goes to the Father our sins satisfied in him, he sends the Holy Spirit to live in believers all over the world that Jesus' disciples went from 12 to 120 in Acts 1 to 3,000 in Acts 2 to 2 billion plus today. And now we have churches all over the world where there are Christians with Jesus living in them who are able to do greater works, more works in scope Ministries of preaching the word of God, ministries of compassion, feeding the hungry, caring for the sick, giving compassion to those in need, but also miracles. Dear friends, one of the gifts that God has given his church is the gift of miracles, the gift of healing. And we have seen them in our church. I've said this to you before. We've had cancers healed. We have all kinds of bone issues healed. It's been a marvelous journey in my four decades to see many people healed. Infertility, we've seen people who are infertile, who've been given babies. It's just been unbelievable the 
dozens, I would say dozens of infertile women who have been given babies in the ministry of the past church I was in and now this one. It's just amazing because God gives that ministry to his church. Why? He gave that to Jesus. And if we're the body of Christ, we still have that. And in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, you see a list of all those gifts given. So now we can see the power of God flowing through people all over the world, greater in scope, greater in power because there are more numbers. Now, you say to me, wait a minute, wait a minute. Are you telling me like Jesus raised people from the dead? People get raised from the dead today? Yes. Emphatically, yes. Well, David, have you ever met anybody that's been raised from the dead? Yes. When Marilyn and I were in India some years ago, we met a woman who had been placed on the funeral pyre. They had lit the light under her, people continued to pray that God would do a miracle, and all of a sudden her body started to twitch and she came back to life. She was dead in a doornail, she was placed on that pyre, and God raised her from the dead. Now why? Because that allowed the gospel to be proclaimed in that village in India, and there's now a church there. I do believe that God does more huge, supernatural, miraculous kinds of works in places where the gospel needs to be planted. He wants us to see miracles happen, but he wants us to learn to live by faith. And I think where his word is not available, like in India, God has to do miracles to get the church started. Where God's word is available, like here in America, he wants us to learn how to live more by faith. That's not to say he doesn't still raise people from the dead in America. I know of a couple of instances here, but not like what I hear worldwide. God's still doing greater works in magnificent ways because his spirit lives in people who believe. And when they come together and form the bride of Christ, they're then the body of Christ who has his gifts and power flowing through them. And now we have churches all over the world. One of our hopes as I'm going to cast vision in the next several weeks is to plant churches in unreached people's groups. We've had 330 plus we've already done in the two and a half years that we have been in existence. That's the command of Jesus. Matthew 24, 14, we'll look at this in my end times theology class. Jesus said, I'm not coming back. I'm not coming back until every ethnic tribe, every ethnos in the Greek has heard the gospel of Jesus. It is our mandate to do so. And actually the Bible says that we can hasten the return of Jesus by proclaiming the gospel. It's time for Christians no longer to be silent, but to take the gospel of Jesus Christ into our hearts and proclaim it to our family, our neighbors in this city and around the world. It's not optional, folks. It's what Jesus has commanded his church to do. And I know he wants that to happen. So greater works than these you're going to be able to do. And then Jesus ends this section with, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So this is the communication we have with this almighty daddy who lives inside of us through Jesus. We can talk to him regularly. Folks, what's prayer? It's just common conversation. I mean, I talk to my daddy all day long, pray without ceasing. I have a special time in the morning where I just sit down in a special place, alone, no interruptions with God's word, my journal, and I read his word, and I just pray, and I just talk to daddy. I make a list of the things my heart needs, and then I can go back later on and see how he's answered. We'll do another study sometime on how God answers prayer, but he just says, talk to me. And Jesus said, whatever you pray in my name, now that's the key, in my name. Someone's name in that day meant their character. So Jesus' name means Savior. That's what his name means. He is the Savior of the world. David, King David's name means beloved. He was beloved by everyone. The name indicates the character and also the will of the person in whose name you're praying. So when you pray in the name of Jesus, 
You're praying believing, and at best you know, it might be what you think God wants for you, but you're releasing it to, him, to the Father, just like Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane, thinking, is there another way? And the Father said, nope, nope. And Jesus then said, not your will, but mine. We pray fervently. We pray believing. We know that prayer does move the hands of God, but we always are praying in the name of Jesus in accordance with his character and his will, knowing that it might not be exactly what God desires, and we have to either wait for it or maybe even realize he'll say, no, I've got a better plan. But God is always good, folks, and he wants us to talk to him, and he wants us to talk to him like he's our daddy. My daddy went to heaven some years ago, but I would give anything if I had one hour where I could just sit down to him, with him and just talk to him, hear his voice, hear his wisdom, know how much he loves me. Well, how much more is that the case every morning when I go to my heavenly daddy and hear his voice speaking to me, I love you, you're mine, you're my son, my child, I've adopted you, I have a purpose for your life. Dear friends, dads aren't (laughs) add-ons. Fathers aren't purposeless. They have great meaning in our culture. Another thing I'm going to talk about in our vision in the next four weeks or so, I'm going to talk about the importance of developing men into Christ followers. Yes, women too, of course, but men especially who tend to go, I don't need this, Jesus, and also develop these men into fathers who will marry women, stay covenantally committed to them forever, and raise their children for the next generation to follow Jesus, who will then raise children for the next generation as good fathers and mothers until Jesus returns. And by the way, Jesus is coming back one day. And if it weren't so, he wouldn't have told us. To Jesus belongs the glory always, forever. Amen and amen. Father, if there's anyone out there who wrongly thinks they can work their way to heaven, would they be convicted by your Holy Spirit right now and give their hearts to you? Would they know that it can only be by grace through faith? Would they yield finally now to Jesus and know that he is the way, the truth, the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through Jesus? It has to be grace or works. It has to be works or Christ's righteousness, one or the other. And I pray, Lord, for all those out there who know they're unforgiven and they've never received Jesus, they've never been born again, they don't have the assurance of eternal life, I pray they would now finally yield to you, Lord, and you would touch deeply their hearts and enter and give them the gift of eternal life. Do so now, please. And let us know if you have so that we can help begin the process of your growth in loving Jesus, becoming the man or woman of God he desires you to be, becoming the mother and father of God he wants you to be, and to live according to his purposes. In Jesus' name, amen. You're listening to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Coming up, David joins me in the studio in a conversation about the importance of speaking the truth in all circumstances. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Tony Marciano, President and CEO of Charlotte Rescue Mission. Let me ask you a question. What do you do when you stand at the intersection of homelessness and addiction? Let me put you in that person's shoes for just a second. What is it that you really need? You've probably been one of the individuals who stood at the end of the interstate ramp, holding a sign that said, hungry, will work for food. But you never used the money for food. You bought booze and drugs with it. And most likely, you hate your life. Your addiction has stolen every aspect of hope. You want to be part of the fabric of society, but every morning your addiction screams and you surrender to it. There is one thing you do need, and that is transformation. 
the place to go is Charlotte Rescue Mission. Charlotte Rescue Mission works from the inside out to address the root cause of someone at the crossroads of addiction and homelessness. The Rescue Mission provides free, Christian, residential, high-quality substance abuse recovery programs to members of our community who otherwise would not be able to afford such services. With a passion for holistic transformation and a love for Christ, the mission's 120-day program has transformed the lives of thousands of men and women in our community. Charlotte Rescue Mission is grateful for the financial partnership of Moments of Hope Church. I'm Jen Houston. Thanks for listening today. Joining me in the studio is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, thanks for joining us. It's great being with you as well, Jen. Well, in this morning's Moment of Hope, you made an excellent point about how the Bible calls us to examine ourselves. What do you mean by that? Well, Jen, it's an often overlooked little verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. Basically, again, it says, examine yourselves to see if you are in the faith. And I don't think many people do this. I I know in my own spiritual life, I need to do this more because there are times when only the Holy Spirit and I know what's really going on in my heart. So I need times to sit down alone, away from everything, in quiet, in silence, and say, Lord, examine my heart. And then let the Holy Spirit probe and prick those places inside of me that I have neglected and maybe need to let the Lord show me a new path and a new way. You know, for example, Lord, have I really been studying your word recently? Have I been a person who loves to pray? Uh, Lord, if so, have I been praying as regularly and fervently as I need? Is there depth to my prayers? Uh, Is your life constantly being lived in and through me so that I can avoid anxiety, despair? Or am I really walking in faith like you desire? Have I cast all my cares upon you because I know how much you care for me, 1 Peter 5, 7? Ask those questions honestly. And if you do, I think the Lord will show you the weaknesses of your heart and maybe some of the strengths you need to keep building upon. Really, it's a test of faith, if you will. Mm. And what we're doing here is saying, Lord, I want to do an in-depth test. And Mm. the, the question we all need to ask then thereafter is, have I passed the test? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the question is, will we examine our hearts and let the Lord speak to us in places of spiritual weakness? I think this is a, a really good word for right now. I actually heard a teaching recently on the book of Sol- Song of Solomon. In chapter four, um, the Shulamite bride calls on the north winds and the south winds. And the north winds are the winds of testing, like those cold winter winds. And it's a mature prayer to say, Lord, test me, examine what's going on here and bring your refreshing as well. It's it's a sign of maturity, I think, if you're walking with Jesus. That's a great insight, Jen. And it also speaks to how those times of winter are the times when God does his best revealing to us of those issues that we need to deal with. Interestingly, farmers leave the ground fallow during the winter time. During the cold, icy winter season is when the rocks that are just below the surface are brought to the surface and they're then shown to the farmer where before the spring planting, he can take the rocks out in order to have the largest harvest. So in those cold, bitter, winter times of the heart, 
God often brings to the surface the rocks of mm-hmm. unbelief, despair, discouragement, etc., that we can see and say, okay, mm-hmm. got to get rid of those in order for the seeds to be planted of faith that will ultimately give me the harvest of hope. I think that is such a beautiful picture and a timely word as we are turning the corner in our seasons here. Yeah, moving toward winter ourselves. So mm-hmm. use this season physically as a season spiritually to examine yourselves. Second Corinthians 13, 5, a verse we often overlook. What a good word. Thank you so much, David. Thank you, Jen. And listeners, if you would like to receive from me a daily written moment of hope, please go to momentsofhopechurch.org. You can subscribe there free of charge. From my heart to yours, the purpose to bring you daily a moment of hope. This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church. We would love to have you join us for worship this Sunday morning. We meet at Providence Day School, located at 5800 Sardis Road in South Charlotte at 10 a.m. You can find more information on our website, momentsofhopechurch.org. And while you're online, be sure to sign up for David's daily Moments of Hope delivered every morning to your inbox. And also check out David's Hopecast. They're both free and available at momentsofhopechurch.org. For David and the entire Moments of Hope Church staff, this is Jen Houston praying that this broadcast has been a blessing to you today.